Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Sixers fans, Philly gets a huge 132-97 win to wrap up the series against the Raptors. Big outings from all the stars. Joel Embiid, he reasserted himself as the most dominant player in the NBA. James Harden looked great in this one. Tyrese Maxey had moments. Tobias Harris all the way down the line. But a very interesting affair this one was. It was only a one-point game at halftime, and then the Sixers just took over in the third quarter. Before we jump into the details, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for the postgame, as he often does, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. First off, how are you feeling knowing right now that we don't have to talk about Doc Rivers collapsing anymore going into round two? I'm good. And, you know, we get a, we get a free Saturday as well, which is nice. We get the weekend to prepare for another series, but I'm, I'm good. That game was, uh, you know, obviously you know, blowouts maybe were a little less, you know, stressful in terms of just what you have to analyze, but it was fun because there were clear adjustments that were made to take it from a one point game, as you said, to a, to a 35 point route. So I'm, I'm good. I, I thought it was an engaging and interesting game, but also gave me some time off both at the end and moving forward to this next, next few days. Yeah, we're happy we get a Saturday off now, right? So we at least <laughs> at least we'll have that. But yeah. uh, you, you mentioned the adjustments, Jackson. It was interesting because Philly was only up 62, 61, at the break. And I'm like, you know, both teams throughout the first two quarters were playing at such a high level. It was great basketball to watch. It was basically punch for punch, blow for blow. And then the third quarter started. The Sixers went on a 25-6 run, ended up scoring 17 in a row in the third. Tyrese Maxey had these back-to-back threes, added another one. The Sixers had a 20-point lead with just five minutes left to go in the third. And then James Harden had that dagger step back that put the Sixers up by 22. But looking at that stretch of basketball, that seven minutes right there, where honestly, that was the best I've seen the 76ers play all season during during that little run. But for you, Jackson, from a technical aspect, what did you see from Philly during that crazy run that, that essentially not only ended this game, but the series? Yeah, I mean, you saw them get out in Trent. I mean, it was a lot of it was what we saw in game one. You saw them get out in transition. You saw it. Tyrese Maxey just be an absolute dynamo on the open floor. Um, it's some pretty ridiculous shots. That second three he hit. I think it was maybe a loose ball and he kind of scooped it up and drilled a deep three um, was ridiculous, but they also changed things up defensively a ton. The, the Raptors aren't a good shooting team. And for some reason, the Sixers were kind of defending them as if they were an okay shooting team. Uh, the Raptors I think had 10 or 12 off and three runs. The first half ended with I think only five after halftime, but three of two of them were in garbage time. So um, that was a huge thing. And um, they changed up the looks on Pascal. They realized that, like, why are we just automatically switching this? We don't really have to respect who's ever sitting in the screen for Pascal because it's probably a big man who's not a great finisher. Let's just either trap or, you know, show with a big man. And 
Um, that made a huge difference. So those adjustments were, were massive and let them get out in the open floor. They seem to space the floor well in, in the half court as well offensively. Um, the Raptors, you know, for the last couple of games, they treated James Harden as a as a guy who wasn't a great scorer, and that was understandable, but Harden's aggressive start forced them to start shooting help again, and that opened him up as a passer, and so things just kind of clicked from there. And then obviously Joel was was great kind of picking his spots as an off-ball scorer and then, you know, had a couple of plays on the ball as well. So um, just good adjustments and, you know, kind of a ripple effect from the start you know, that Harden had, and, you know, it, it forced Toronto to reshape how it was def- defending him in the Sixers. And Jackson, you met, we mentioned this with, with along with Paul Hudrick on an earlier episode during the week where we were talking about going into this specific game. We need to see James Harden step up and be the guy that might be signing a $260 million extension in the summer because we just hadn't seen him assert himself offensively in terms of being a scorer. He's been great at, at being a setup man. I believe he's still in the top two in the NBA in, in assists per game for the postseason. But you look at what he did early, he had 10 points in the first quarter, was decisive getting to the hoop, had a couple of nice uh, pull-up jumpers, you know, just getting to the lane and, and hitting some layups. Had that had that dunk too, which we haven't seen him do in a long time in the first quarter. Finished the game with 22 points, 15 dimes, six rebounds. When you look at how important he is to the Sixers' success, why do you think he looked so much better in the first quarter? What, do you think it was more because we've been talking about him and, and I'm sure the team has with him, as Doc has mentioned, and Joel, that they want him to be aggressive? Or did you see anything different he was doing in his approach in order to get that many easy buckets? Yeah, I mean, I saw a few things. One, he just looked more explosive than he has in you know, much of his last year or so. Um, you know, I think the two days off helped, which, you know, will be the same and you know, going in the game, you know, game one against the heat. That's, that's nice for his sake that he'll get two more days or three days off. Even um, maybe he'll have 35, who knows, maybe he'll play poorly. And I just jinxed him, but um, <laughs> it's, it's clear that that rest has helped him throughout the year. And he looks spry there. And like I said earlier, the Raptors were like, they didn't even like guard him on a couple of drives. They just sat on passes and hardened, like even missed a, he even missed a layup in the first quarter. That was pretty make cool. He was a right-handed layup, but he's obviously left-handed. So it wasn't, you know, the easiest thing, but um, they just sat on passes and, like too much so like they were they were overly passive against him and so he had some easy shots there um and you know we talked we talked about Joel needing to be the one that set the tone but but it was hardened like he he came out from the gun was getting downhill making things happen and uh and then you know Joel had some plays late in the first half they mix up their first quarter they mix up the rotations as well usually they go and bead plays the first 10 or 12 minutes and then in Harden plays the first seven to eight, they split mm-hmm. that around the day. Uh, Paul Reed came in with about four and a half minutes to go in the first quarter. And so after Harden kind of laid the groundwork to open the game, Joel came back in, had a nice a few nice plays to close the quarter. Um, and so it was just, you know, it, it was just, it's funny, right? We were talking about Joel needs, we were kind of putting all this, this uh, responsibility on Joel and, you know, Harden kind of said to hell with it and, and took the onus and it was awesome to open the game. So um, you know, it was a combination of how the Raptors shifted their approach and how he was clearly looking for a shot more. And, um, and then the ripple effect of that later was that they kind of went back to how they guarded him the first couple of games from the Sixers offense was really, really rolling. And then obviously it was rolling again, you know, in, in game five or game six, excuse me. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get deeper into some of the adjustments Doc made later on in the podcast. But, you know, you mentioned Joel, too, and when we talked about him kind of struggling, obviously dealing with that torn ligament in his thumb he looked really really good took him some time to get going but by that second quarter he started to get going had 16 in the first half 
I ultimately finished the game with 33 points, 10 rebounds on 12 of 18 shooting. So super efficient there. Although Jackson, you did notice he, he missed a couple of those threes with the, with the shot clock winding down. It's almost surprising now to see, to see Joel miss those late in the shot clock. But uh, you were tweeting about it during the game too. And, and you look at what he was able to do in that specific third quarter where the Sixers just seriously just whooped the Raptors. I mean, there's nothing else you could, you could say about that. But when you look at how he was able to assert his dominance, assert his will onto this game, not just on the offensive end, but on the defensive end as well. Where, what did you see Joel do differently in this one than we had in, in games four and five? Yeah, I man, I think it was a few things defensively, especially as they, you know, like I said earlier, they were having him show a lot against Pascal to force the ball out of Pascal's hands and into the hands of other guys. And then when they weren't running, you know, actions for Pascal specifically, Joel was very much that roamer, right? They, the Sixers kind of finally realized that there's going to be at least one player on the floor at all times for the Raptors that you feel comfortable funneling shots to, whether it's Kem Birch, we only played five minutes, but um, in game six, but that's been something throughout the series, whether it's Thad Young, like, you know, Thad's had a few, yeah, especially in game four with that first one, the Raptors won, like he had a nice scoring game, but like you'll live with a Thad floater or a Thad corner three. Um, and it seemed like the Sixers finally kind of realized that, yeah, there are a lot of very offensive limited players. And if we put, you know, this guy is this all world defender when he's at his best on one of them and just let him, you know, help on, you know, a Gary Trent drive or a, a Scotty Barnes drive or a Pascal Siakam pick and roll, something like that, we're going to be in a good spot. And so that, that helped a lot. And then just the fact that they weren't closing out and shooters allowed them to kind of just be better, better prepared to rebound. Like I said earlier, I think the Raptors only had five offensive rebounds for halftime and two or three were in the final stages of the game, a couple from Delano Banton. And obviously he's not in the rotation. So um, that was a big difference there as well. So it just, just the versatility of Joel's defense was huge. And then, um, you know, hit a couple of pull-up jumpers. I haven't seen him take very many jumpers in games four and five. Um, even the threes, like, I think at one point he was like four of seven or three of six from the field. And all his misses were threes. And they didn't look great in the first half as threes, um, but hit a few jumpers in the second half, hit a short one in the first half as well. So um, just, just kind of a, it was similar to game of game three where, you know, he, I think obviously he was better in the first half of game six than he was in the first half of game, game three, but just took over on both ends in the second half and, and did it in an array of ways and showed why he's, you know, a guy who, you know, could win the MVP and was a finalist last year. So um, he just, he got back to what has made him great for a long time and made him especially great the last two years. And that's what the Sixers kind of needed after Harden, you know, set the tone and then kind of deferred a little bit and, and let everyone else get going and Harden and MP took advantage of that. You mentioned earlier, Jackson, too, and, you know, we're talking about the, the defense the Sixers played in this game, holding the Raptors a 7-35 to 35 shooting from the three-point line, not getting nearly as many open looks as they were, and kind of surrendering, hey, if you want to be able to shoot those threes with, with some of these guys who aren't known to be knockdown shooters, then that's fine. You can go ahead and do it. Although Chris Boucher looked like he was on his way to a podium game in the first half. He had 19 points, uh, but things really tightened up in that second half, giving up just 36 total points. To the Raptors, you mentioned only five offensive rebounds over the final 24 minutes. Too defensively, why do you think the Sixers look so much better? And and at, you know, just in terms of more comfortable dealing with what the Raptors were going to bring. Yeah, I, I, I wish I I wish I had an answer to that. I think if I think if I did, we'd understand this team a little better. It seems like this team is kind of defined by its inconsistency. <laughs> um, just the the rotations in general were crisper. Danny Green came to life in the second half. He was an off ball defender. James Harden, I thought, was generally quite like genuinely a a, a net notable positive defender in the second half. And he's had games like that. I'm not trying to say that never happens, but um, I thought he was good there as well. 
Um, had one play in particular that I remember where OG was trying to post him up and he just was like, no, you're not going to do that. And then we're going to force the ball elsewhere. And I think, I don't remember what happened on possession, but that stood out to me, especially. So um, they just, and, and Maxi was flying around off the ball as well, too, getting a high hand up on closeouts, things like that. Um, it just, I, I guess like, so I guess if you kind of want to bring the, the Sixers two leading stars into it in the first half, Harden's aggressive beginning, you know, set the tone for a good offensive game. And the second half, Joel's kind of versatile, you know, just be everywhere defensive prowess set the tone for everyone else to follow suit on that end. So um, I, I don't know how much that plays into it. I never want to just be like, oh, these guys are tone setters and that's what matters most. But, you know, Joel was great and everyone fell in line and whether those are correlated or not, I can't I can't say, but they happened together. So that was really key for them. And it just it was just a really important. I mean, they just I mean, they, they could have won that game if they still had a bad second half. But um, just the fact that they you know, bad second half defensively, excuse me, just the fact that they let they, they buckled down and kind of got more out in transition, which has been their bread and butter the first couple of games of the series was huge and um, just made everything easy the last 15 to 16 minutes of that game. Yeah, the, the Sixers ended up with a 21-5 advantage in fast break points. Interestingly, five out of the six games were won by the team who had the advantage in that specific stat. We do know the Sixers are going to take on the top seed in the East. They'll be playing the Heat. That's going to be starting on Monday. So as you mentioned, they do get three days off. I want to jump into some Doc Rivers talk because he was a bit salty when he was asked about those 3-1 leads that he's blown, especially referring to when he lost it with the Magic against the eventual champion Detroit Pistons. But for all the flack he would have gotten for a loss in this game, he deserves a lot of credit. We've touched on a little bit of the adjustments that he made, but we'll get deeper into them after a short break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back. Jackson, talking about Doc Rivers, you you look at some of the things he did differently. You already mentioned, you know, getting Paul Reed into the game basically seven, seven and a half minutes in where typically we'd see Joel play a little bit longer and then get getting Joel back in for the start of the second. So he made that right move, mixing up the zone coming out of a timeout. Also with Niang on the court, we saw Ferk even get a couple of minutes that, again, wasn't great, but he did try some different things here. And we saw them run a little bit more of that Maxi Harden pick and roll 
as well. When you look at the job Doc did in game six compared to what he did in, in games four and five, I know we've touched a little bit on the adjustments that he made, but what else did you see from the Sixers that you've got to give the coaching staff credit for for after, especially those two ugly outings that we saw in games four and five? Yeah, so I think I think Doc did a few things well um, in this one. And I think, yeah, obviously, he deserved, we talked about it in the last podcast. We talked about it with Paul that he deserved you know, his fair share of blame for the last couple of losses. But um, the, the things that I was impressed by was one, he didn't, you know, he didn't play shake in the second half when, at, at all, I think. Right. Or, um, if I'm trying, I'm trying to figure it out correctly, I can't, the box score on me is freezing. Um, anyhow, but yeah, shake only, you know, eight minutes. I think most of those came once the game was in, in, in hand. Um, so short in the rotation there, he, he put, he, he played George from Yang. George was surviving defensively and giving them good floor spacing and kind of let Danny green rest after a very, active you know first half offensively and an active second half so um that was important i thought he spaced i thought he used joel well off the ball i think just to kind of space the floor for harden um he didn't he didn't have a guy in the dunker spot as often you know for harden and i think that was important because as good as harden is at certain things maybe setting up you know play finishers having someone in the dunker spot has allowed the rotations a lot easier and he's that's why he's part of why he struggles a finisher this season and so to just go five out around harden or four out i guess Kind of unlocked him as a finisher there. Um, like you mentioned, you know, it went to Furcon, didn't didn't really matter. Like it didn't, I thought Furcon was like maybe a slight negative, but he only played five minutes, so it doesn't really matter. And I think only three, I think three of them, you know, before the game was was out of hand. So um, you know, that that was important too. And I just I think I just I just thought you did a really good job. I mean, I I feel like I should have a more concrete answer here, but for some reason, some of the adjustments he made are, are escaping me. But yeah, Joel was playing playing well off the ball. I, I like the mixed up the rotation a little bit. I liked that they kind of ran stuff for Harden to open the game and just kind of let Joel pick his spots rather than running everything through Joel. That was really important. It just felt like it felt like Joel's points were just organic in, in this one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the last couple of games, it's you know, there's been a lot of touches scheme for him to understand it was so right. He is the centerpiece of the offense. But when he's limited like this and maybe he's not as able or willing to attack as consistently, I think just kind of letting him pick his spots on and off the ball was not, was, was important and kind of let Harden dictate things. And so um, just a good solid performance from doc. And I think overall he had a pretty good showing in this series, um, you know, despite some struggles in the middle of it, but um, I thought you just, the short rotations, the way he used Joel, well, um, the way he spaced the floor um, were, were really important. And in um, the defensive adjustments, second half, like I mentioned earlier, were key were huge. So um, that was the big thing I was forgetting was the defensive adjustments, but I already talked about them. So, um, you know, obviously the players deserve credit for making sure those, those defensive adjustments were effective, but the fact that you went to them and you really kind of slowed Pascal in the second half after another good first half from him was important to the Sixers finding some serious rhythm on both ends in that third quarter. Oh yeah. And, and again, could you imagine what the, the sentiment would have been online and, and how much pressure would have been on if they actually lost this game? I, I would not want to be in Doc Rivers shoes going into a potential game seven back home in Philly. We did touch on Tyrese Maxey as well. You look at the job that he did uh, earlier on, as I mentioned, 25 points. He finished with eight assists too. So him and Harden combined for, for 23 dimes in this game and, and five to 12 from shooting from deep. Looked very confident pulling up. Looked very, you know, sure of himself and on, on a couple of those threes that he did hit. But look, looking at 
the importance of getting Maxi going in transition and being able to get some of those open looks. How key is that going to be, Jackson, you think, against a team like Miami? Because we know what the Sixers' limitations are at this point. They don't have much of a bench. They're not very deep in terms of getting offensive production from, from their second unit. So they're going to need and bead Maxi and Harden to have games like this where they combine for 80 points. And, and so... Maxi is is obviously the guy who's been a bit more inconsistent just in terms of where he's at in his development, obviously just a second year guy. But you look at the importance of him going into the next series. How do you think that they'll be able to match up against my, such a good defensive team in Miami? I mean, you look at the job that the Heat did against the the Hawks with, with Trey Young, you know, holding him to, I believe, it was what, 16 points a game just under that and giving up the fourth least amount of points per game in the NBA during the regular season. So if you're putting on your coaching cap, Jackson, how, how do you try and make sure you're getting Maxi into those favorable positions that he's going to be able to make a difference on the offensive end? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have to bring a different new game plan defensively, right? Because the Heat have their own limitations as a half-court offense, but they have much more shooting than Toronto does. Um, you know, I think going back and it was, I think, I don't think Bam out of bio played this game, but the first heat game, the Sixers won, Joel was awesome. Uh, I think it was a back-to-back. It was pre-hardened and they really just kind of ran all the shooters off the arc and funneled everything to Embiid. And I think that's kind of, you know, the game plan they're going to have to go to obviously with a great finisher, like Bam out of bio, it changes the calculus, but that general theme, I think will be important is not letting the heat kind of get those, those threes off. And it'll be tough because the Sixers aren't an incredibly adept off-ball team defensively. We saw Chris Boucher exploit that in the first half, especially in, in game six. So, um, you know, I think it's a lot of it's going to be just funneling things to Joel and, you know, making sure you don't lose track of Jimmy Butler. I think, you know, I imagine that Tobias Harris will get that assignment, just like he kind of got the 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 rangy forward and Pascal, different players, but, you know, broadly kind of similar, not great jump shots, like to get downhill, things like that. But Jimmy's a much better off-ball mover and scorer, which is not where Tobias Harris excels. So that'll be really important for him to, to make sure he's not letting Jimmy spring free off the ball on cuts and things like that. But um, I think, yeah, it'll be just kind of funneling those guys off the arc, you know, whether it's a Max Drews, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, if he's in the rotation, you know, obviously Kyle Lowry, if he's available, you want him inside the arc, just given his limitations there and his size, of course. So um, that would be the general game plan. But um, that, I mean, that, that's what I would do. And then if, obviously if you're able to get stops, you're going to get out and run and, um, I'll have to look at the numbers a little bit off the top of my head. I don't think the, the heat are a big offensive rebounding team. Um, but again, I'll have to look at the numbers. That's just anecdotal from watching them throughout the season. Um, so that, that'll be an adjustment of course, because, you know, that, that was part of how the Sixers exploited the Raptors early, early in the series to gain a two O lead and largely based off some transition play offensively. So, um, that would be my approach, but it's, it's not going to be easy. And, you know, the heat are a very good team, you know, and they're one seed for a reason, but I think the Sixers, you know, match up decently well and you know despite only being the four seed they there's despite in the fourth they only lost two fewer games or two more games excuse me than the the heat so i think this should be a really good series and um, i look forward to kind of uh, analyzing it from every other angle without my, my preliminary breakdown about how the sixers can kind of continue this transition game moving forward yeah the heat uh, number 18 in the league in offensive rebounds per game they were at 9.8 so don't have to deal with as much of a headache from the Raptors who are at 13.4 coming into this series. Uh, Looking at this right now, the Heat are dealing with some injury issues as well. Jimmy Butler missed the closeout game against the Hawks. He's dealing with some knee problems. Kyle Lowry also missed the game. He's dealing with a hamstring issue. We don't know what's going to happen with those two going into game one, which again is coming up on Monday. But as you mentioned, Jackson, this is going to be a hell of a series. I think we all both agree that Joel Embiid's still the best player on the court 
overall, I think, between the two teams. But Miami, like you mentioned, has has a ton of talent. Just your early kind of thoughts on this one. And I know it's it's super soon and we just finished off the the, the Raptors in six games here. But what do you think happens in that series? What's your early prediction between Miami and Philly going on in round two? Yeah, it's tough. I think my early prediction is going to be Heat and seven. Um which I know is probably not what Sixers fans want to hear another second round loss in seven games. <laughs> um, but just my early, my early gut. But I think this is a re- like, I, I think, you know, the heat are clearly a better team than, than the Raptors. I think it's going to be a really good series. I, I would not at all be surprised. If the Sixers won this series. I think they're a very good team. And um, I think they have, like, I, I think they have more exploitable defenders than, than the Raptors do um, at least on their part, maybe like, not maybe as many, but like, I think there are ways for a Tyrese Max to get loose and they play broadly kind of a somewhat similar style to the Raptors in terms of like really loading the gaps up, which is how Maxi excelled, you know, especially early in the series. I think a guy like, you know, if Duncan Robinson's the rotation or Tyler Hero, that those are guys that James Harden can have success with. Um, Max Drews, not so much. I think people will assume Max Drews is someone you can target, but he's pretty mobile, positionally sound, understands angles well. I think he can give Harden some difficulties at his size as well. So um, I, I think I think it's going to be a really good series. Obviously, you're going to see they're going to they're going to test Joel again, which is what they're the way they do things defensively. Which is, you know, I think there are, again there are a lot of similar there are a lot of stylistic similarities between Toronto and Miami defensively, but but Miami's better at it. I think so. Um, here's CB. I'll go Miami in seven. But again, as I kind of reflect on the series in the next three or four days, I could see myself going Miami in six, Sixers in six, Sixers in seven. But I expect this to go at least six games and in one direction or the other, but I'll, I'll stay with Miami it's in seven for now, but it's a very fluid prediction. Boo, Jackson, boo, right? That's what the Sixers fans are going to be saying, but I, I, I'm with you. I think this one is going to go seven. Looking at it, just like you said, preliminary thoughts. Defensively, it's going to be awesome to watch if you like seeing grinded out basketball. I don't think this is going to be a very high scoring series by any means. And I think this is what we're going to see. When the Sixers win, it'll be because Joel... James Harden and Tyrese Maxey are, are combining for 70, 80 points and taking them there. And when they lose, you're going to see them struggle again against a very good defensive Miami team. Jackson, looking around the rest of the NBA, we do have some series that are already set in the second round. The Phoenix Suns, as we're recording this, just finished off the New Orleans Pelicans. Chris Paul with a performance for the ages, didn't miss a single field goal attempt, went 14 for 14. That's an NBA record for most shots without a miss in a, in a postseason game. But looking around at the rest of the playoff matchups, what do you think about in the other Eastern Conference series, which is going to be a heavyweight battle between the Bucks and the Celtics? What are your early thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously that's, you know, it's the, everyone's going to say it's a great series and rightfully so. It should be a really good series. Um, right. You know, off the, this another series, I have to kind of think more about it's It's hard for me to think about future series while there are still current series going on to analyze and reflect upon. But um, my, my early thoughts on that yesterday after the Bucks wrapped up their own series was, with Celtics and six. Um, I just think the Celtics are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I worry a little bit about the Bucks offensively without Chris Milton. I don't love Drew's, I don't love Drew Holly's decision making in that series. It worries me a little bit, especially if he doesn't have kind of a, a guy to exploit. Um, there's not really a player in that in that rotation, maybe besides Peyton Pritchard, but the Celtics are very good at preventing Pritchard from being in, you know, uh but I guess non-favorable matchups. I'm sure there's a more you know eloquent term than non-favorable, but roll with it. Um, so that's my thoughts. I think the the Sixers or my goodness the Celtics. I got all I'm naming all the different teams in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> um, I think the Celtics, while they're not going to contain Giannis or anything like that or slow, I mean you know shut them down. 
because he's been he's grown so much as a half court scorer. I think they do have ways to at least make him just look like a superstar rather than like the destroyer of worlds superstar they looked like in the first round looked like you know in the you know in the finals last year so um again that's a very fluid prediction but my gut tells me Celtics and six for now which those two predictions are not going to no, going to curry me any favor with Sixers fans saying the Sixers will lose and the Celtics will win in the second round but that's where I'm at for now but again it's very much subject to change as I reflect more on it and kind of think more in depth but I just kind of like what um what Boston brings in that matchup. But I, again, I think it's going to go at least six and one team will win in six or seven, which again is not, you know, not a very firm take, but, but that's where I'm at. I, I, I try to avoid being, you know, old takes exposed on some of these things. <laughs> well, hey, that's okay. Jackson's part of our job. we got to eat some. We're going to be good on some. We're going to be bad on some uh, last one for you looking out West. I'm really looking forward to watching the Grizzlies take on the Warriors. I think that's going to be a hell of a series too. Uh, Memphis, obviously, um, if it's able to 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 finish the job, let, let's say, but I do think that's going to be it. But you're looking at what the Warriors did to to the Denver Nuggets. How confident are you that they're going to be able to come out of the West with the Suns now getting back healthy with with Devin Booker back in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I I I still think the Warriors should win comfortably that series, regardless of who they they play, whether it's the Grizzlies or the Wolves. I lean you know Grizzlies as well with you, which is not bold because they held a three two advantage in home court, of course, but. Um, I just I haven't loved what I've seen from the Grizzlies. Obviously, you know, winning a, a series for the first time in seven years, whatever it be, would be a huge accomplishment, especially given how young their core is. But I just I just think the Warriors are a better team. Now the Warriors didn't look great the last three games of that series. You know, they had some issues offensively, and you know, you saw some of the issues that that size can pose for them. You know, when Draymond's not in there, obviously they kind of countered it a little bit, you know, when they got rid of Nemanja Bialica, Nemanja Bialica at the five. Uh, which they did in game five. They didn't play them at all. So that was, you know, helped them a little bit. But um, I just think the Warriors, you know, are, are a better team than either the Wolves or the Grizz. But um, it's tough to pick against the Suns at this point. I mean, just I know they didn't look great throughout that series, but, um, you know, they played about half of it without Devin Booker. And and I, I just I just think they're really well coached and they they have such a, a beautiful offense. I do worry a bit about the offense, but um, it's t- I think, you know, I, I don't want to nitpick too much. I think they're still the best team in the league. And so, you know, it's all about kind of how do my con- where do my concerns sit on a scale compared to everyone else in the league? And their mind with the Suns are just much less than everyone else. So um, I expect the Suns Warriors conference finals should be really fun. I don't know who I'll pick there, but who I'd pick there. But um, I just think based off these first run series and how everyone's looked, it's tough for me to pick against the Warriors and that Grizz Wool and that whoever they play in that in the winner of that series. Well, Jackson, I'll be honest. I was saying this before the first round that I was looking forward to all of these series. Now I'm looking forward to likely like i said i think it's gonna end up being the grizz and, and the dubs but i'm looking forward to every single second round series too because i think we'll see a high level of basketball uh let's wrap things up there as you mentioned the sixers on to round two taking on miami in game one on monday as i said off the top don't forget subscribe to liberty ballers podcast network you can catch us wherever you get your fix and of course check out jackson paul hudrick steve Lipman, tom west sean kennedy the entire team of writers at libertyballers.com as well jackson thank you for joining me as always we'll do this again at some point next week i'm sure Yeah, right on. Always happy to talk Sixers and NBA. Look forward to doing it again soon.